0: everyone welcome to another episode of the evolution exchange podcast today i'm joined by stina rasmus Wojciech, and wolf to discuss the topic of commercializing data
1: hi everyone this is chris bennett here the knowledge managing director here at evolution we're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment there are three reasons why you should contact me if you would like to speak on the future podcast if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with please get in touch thank you so much for listening and i really hope to hear from you soon Please enjoy the rest of the podcast.
0: So before we get into it, let's work our way around the room with some quick introductions. Stina, do
2: you want to go ahead? Yes, thank you. And thanks for inviting me here today. Um, My name is Stina. I uh, work as a manager for the data engineering and analytics team in uh, WSA. We are sitting in uh, the R&D part of WSA. Um, I have been there since October and uh, before that I have worked for a lot of years as a data scientist myself. Okay. Rasmus.
1: Hello, I'm Rasmus. Um, I'm the head of the Advanced Commercial Analytics team in Danske Bank. I have worked in Danske Bank for more than eight years now. Born and raised, started as a student data scientist and uh, worked my way up the, the ranks and uh, moved from a position with in the marketing organization and slowly drifted more and more towards the data science uh, area. So today I'm uh, I'm leading a team team of uh, 15 people where we build predictive
3: models uh, used for marketing activities.
1: Great, Wojciech?
3: It's good to be back also Uh, (laughs) and thank you for the invite. Um, I work at an agency doing digital marketing and activating data and insights called Quantum. And we work mostly with e-commerce customers. So we have consumer goods companies that sell products like fashion products, jewelry products mostly. And uh, my role, I had a data team uh, in which we tried to elevate the data operations to the usable level on different, of course, maturity levels that those companies are on. Because for some it will be still very basic so that's like the web data maybe social marketing data maybe crm data for some it will be also more advanced with additional inputs about who their customers are or who their customers could be so this is what i'm trying to do because at the end what's what's important here is to have and this is hence the hence i'm interested in this topic commercial value out of that because people are interested into how can they do something with all those systems in order to get the uh, good commercial outcome. So that's, I'm actually excited to to contribute here and to listen to you guys. And
0: last but not least, Wolf.
4: Hi, I'm Wolf. Um, I think the key summary of my career is that I help image organizations realize value from AI. So it's mostly right when people tell you it's 80% data cleaning and 20% data science. It is actually, in fact, 80% selling data science and evangelizing data science and just talking to InfoSec and legal to get the data. So left and right what you're actually doing, and then it's 80% data cleaning and then 20% data science of the rest. So that's kind of a bit of my, my my job along the way. And most recently I work at the at Associate Partner as the Danish lead for AI. And driving the idea of trusted AI, specifically in the context of AI Act and ESG reporting coming up, and working across all industries. So um, it's a big passion. This this data and a value subject.
0: Okay. Perfect. So now that we have established a context to each of you, let's move into the topic in focus. So you all have questions or statements around the topic of commercialising data. So as usual, I'll work around the room with each of these questions and allow you to elaborate. Each of you will then have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Okay. so first of all, I'll come to you, Rasmus. So you've asked what thoughts go into how you plan on exposing your data products solutions to the rest of the organization. Do you wanna go ahead and elaborate a little bit for us?
1: Yes, I will. Um, so I think the question really stems from some of the solutions that we build in my team. So we we build a lot of models and models can be exposed as either data or maybe as a service to the rest of the organization. But I think what's really important um, when you expose a solution or a service to an organization is to understand how are they going to consume it and what purpose does it actually solve or a problem does it solve so i'm just wondering what kind of thoughts and thought processes go into your solutions when you either develop a data data asset or or any kind of solution in, in your organization
0: what are your thoughts
3: yeah so mm-hmm. of course it's different case to case but let's say in principle for all of them what would be the common ground is It has to have some outcome. So for me, it would be if let's say that's a audience that takes some features of the customer on different, like uh, digital marketing channels on which they are present, it will be, how can then I elevate that on the best channel? So like most profitable channel for the campaign, for that customer group, for that product is of course my differ case to case. But the outcome is kind of like the end. So I wouldn't do a service for the sake of service, and this is like what often can happen that on a high level somewhere there's a decision, let's get a CDP, or let's make, you know, let's hire data scientists to do data science because we need to check that off the mark that we are as an organization going that way. To me, of course, you know, it happens, and sometimes you you hire brilliant people who actually uh, deliver a lot of value. But the outcome should be like the, the focus point, right? Because then that's, in my opinion, draws the whole map how to get there, how to reach those results, and what is it that you have at hand to use, and what is it that you have to build in order to use it. So it's more like you know, like the kind of like pragmatic approach I would call it because you ha- need to know what you get or you need to want something and then draw the whole journey how to get there, just to like you know just just to be pragma- be pragmatic about it.
0: Sine, what do you think? Mm.
2: What I have experienced with regards to, uh, to actually get something that is used in the end is that it is really important to involve the people that you are producing something for really early in the process. So not just building something for them and saying, there you go, this is nice, this is data science, there you go, go ahead and use it. But actually involving them from the start, makes them have some kind of ownership of it and that often means that they are are actually using it when it comes out on the other side another benefit of this going into the the whole process in the beginning with those that you're actually developing something for is that you will you will often get more an idea of what you what they actually need so instead of them asking you for something you can actually sit down together with them and get to know their everyday life. What what is it actually that you can solve? Uh, because normally the people asking for something they don't know what is actually possible. So if you sit down together with them, you can together brainstorm on. Okay, but you actually have this problem. Why didn't you mention that? And maybe come up with with other new solutions. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. So I think I mean I'll I'll, I'll go in here from the from the selling part of it because I've been spending like the last three years among others working with actual sales. And I think from there, I learned a lot of things that I thought retrospectively I would have loved to have known those frameworks when I was still like internally selling or evangelizing data science. So I would Google like the framework, you know, one of those value based selling frameworks called Medic. You can Google that. And it's all about identify pain. And then what is pain? It's just actually somebody is using a lot of money. And then there's some urgency, right? If there's pain, do you want to fix it? And then what you need on top of that is like, a champion right somebody who sits on that money who feels the pain and is willing to run with you and believes in you that you have the solution because what we're doing here data science a lot is transformation so you just need to be somehow on top of the priority list of whoever's business where a lot of other things and things that really data science doesn't work for them and these type of things And then you basically go down the rest, like it's an acronym, like MEDIC, but then you need to think about your business sponsor. And then you need to think about metrics, meaning everybody believes they're actually losing money. I think I had that a lot in my earlier career where people came, oh, we have a big problem. And then you did some analysis and you realized, no, no, actually, like you don't have a problem at all. You have a completely different problem, right? These type of things. And when you have a framework like this, then you can work your way one by one through the things. It's kind of a checklist that you can also adopt to your own needs, right? Whenever you just retrospectively figure out, oh, that product never got used or failed somewhere along the way in terms of adoption or business, then you can go back and say, oh, probably we should add like this tick box to our checklist at the bottom that we check it earlier next time. Yeah, but one thing
3: is fixing things. Well, the other thing is building new things. Yes. And I think here yes. it's super important, Yeah. but also like you said, involving people who will be affected by it super early yes. because it's their life that are supposed to change yes and we have the tools so we have the you know methods to yeah. get there but is that change really needed in their life that's another question yes. so this is more like you know making something usable making something that actually fixes a problem yes involving and answering like wh- where is the pain yeah but then building something new, something yeah. flat, we think fancy because we are in the bubble, yeah. you know? But do they want this? Yes. Do they really need it, you know? And that's, that's another kind of like, you know, depth. Yes. I mean, I think, Stina, you answered my follow-up question, basically, um,
1: and <laughs> it's that perfect. Um, do we want to give the customer, in either internal customer or whatever customer, what they want or what they need, right? So. In in uh, in the past five years, we've developed yeah. organization quite a lot in terms of data science in, in Danske Bank. And initially, it was it was a model ordering kind of framework where people would come and say we we want this, and then we provided that to them. But now we're doing more of what you're saying, Steen, that we actually engage with the customers and and understand their problems and actually figure out what is it that they need to to solve that problem. So I think it's also a, a change in the
4: collaboration with the rest of the organization. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What do you think? What's the answer to that? follow-up question in your mind
4: i think for for me it's always like there's always an underlying like people tend to think a lot about solutions right mm. i need more data but why do you need more data right um so it's all about asking a lot of questions and qualifying out what is the underlying problem and once you talk about that thing then you can all of a sudden suggest new solutions to the real like outcome they would like to achieve so and i think it's just getting the separation out getting getting people out of this mindset about, oh, I need this specific thing rather than, okay, now let's talk about why do you need it and what is the problem you would like to solve with that specific thing, and then discuss about other things. I think that really, and then it might be right. They might be right, right? You think they might need it, but it ends up being the perfect solution. And sometimes, right, you can really inspire them um, by taking their hand and making it theirs. Because then I think back to my thing, if you don't have a champion, who's in with you on the business side, I think you're lost. About a champion, because this is sometimes, I <laughs>
3: think, <you> know, where, <laughs> no, no, where, where i seen uh, that backfire uh, many times, was also in my previous role, back uh, in the day, I was I worked for another agency. And they had all those fancy solutions, nice page uh, decks, everything. But then they come down to, like, who is it that the guy we're talking to? Yeah. It's a CMO. It's a like, marketing specialist. It's somebody who will now have to translate all they've seen to their CEO, to their CFO. Yeah. So how do we equip them with the language that they need to use to unlock the budget for the stuff that we yeah. think they should get, you know? So it's also this, and without that externally, of course, like things tend to fail, but internally too. Because if you're if you developing a new product, and that's mm-hmm. like maybe from the media, um, my media career, a new product, and you don't really understand how you're gonna use the data from the get-go, from the moment uh, you just, you know, had a um, had a first session about how this product is gonna work. Yeah. Now, how are we gonna use the data coming yeah. from that product to work with that users, customers yeah. of that product? If you don't have that drone from the first moment, forget about the product, because like you know, further, further down the line, it's just gonna be harder to come yeah. with similar. Uh, questions or wants to that product okay. and without a person who understands how does that then add a commercial value to the whole spectrum of that product like why why do you even bother
2: yeah so um a company that i used to work for they're actually having these uh innovation workshops where they are inviting people in who's non-technical and basically teaching them about AI, data science, what is actually possible to do, because this is also a way to actually spark the ideas out there. You have like every company have a limited amount of of data scientists. They're like a a resource that is hard to get. Uh, So actually educating non-technical people in what is possible so they can go to the data scientists themselves with the different ideas is as far as I've seen, it's actually a really good idea and often creates uh, a lot of new things uh, popping up that the data scientists didn't think about themselves. Mm
0: -hmm. And was there anything else you wanted to add to your discussion? No. No, no. All good. So we will follow on from that with you, Stina. So you've asked, have you found the perfect balance between doing explorative analysis and answering simple ad hoc questions from the business? So do you want to go ahead with some context? Yes.
2: um, So, um as, as all companies, a lot of people are, are coming to my team asking them a lot of like small questions. Can we know this about this and this about this and this about this, which makes sense that we should answer this. But we also need to do something more than that. Right. We need to build the, the smart models. We need to do some data science. We need to come up with stuff that they cannot and ask us for it, that they do, simply don't think about asking us for and we are trying to find the balance between building some, some dashboards and some reports where they can actually go and explore some things themselves uh, so we can have more time for doing the fun stuff really right um, but this giving people the access to finding out the answers themselves also may lead to them making the wrong conclusions based on data so often there's some domain data knowledge that you need to have to make sure that you get to the right conclusions mm-hmm. we are we are trying to find the right balance there and that is a, a little
0: challenging yeah. what about you rasmus we you got that right balance yet?
1: no <laughs> <laughs> i can explain what we at least try to do in, in Danske bank so one of my sister departments they, they developed a tool called my insights so basically, that's what you're describing, a, a dashboard where you can drag and drop and build basically graphs and, and basic, basic charts to understand different dimensions and data. And That's extremely helpful uh, when, when we have these requests that you talk about, okay, so how many customers have this product, blah, blah, aged demographics, whatever, distributions. We can guide them to that tool. and They can actually get some of those insights themselves. I think with the current complexity in that tool, we we trust that the users can actually get those answers and also deriving the right conclusions based on that. But then when we move into the more sophisticated stuff, it becomes a bit more difficult. And um, when we at least engage with with stakeholders, we try to have a process where we at least try to prioritize some of the requests that we get from them. So we don't take in everything, first of all. Um, And secondly, we sort of have a a stepwise process where we initially do some light analysis to figure out is it even worth diving deeper into this topic because otherwise you can really engage into a an assumption or a request that takes months to answer right and there might not even be an answer so we try to do a sort of a i don't know if you could call it gate so you go through gate one then okay there's more more to to look at here and then continue um it works in some cases in other cases
3: you uh, you fail but uh, then we try to learn from that
0: Fair enough. Wojciech?
3: Yeah, so this is of course something that has been worked out in many organisations. How to do that, how to start to answer those ad hoc questions, or how to give maybe less or non-technical people an environment to do their own analysis, exploration, or just look at the scorecards. Because let's be honest, people are looking at the things that are going up or down, and then they ask the question why. So. Back in my other, like previous role in the media company, what we did, we dedicated a lot of time and one dedicated resource to for a project called data literacy. And what was that? Was to try to gather like most, like F, almost like frequently asked questions into dashboards for all brands, for all K, for all cases, and then to onboard stakeholders who come and and like ask this question every once, like once a month, every once a quarter, same question just to have their own dashboard in which they can see the metrics they're interested in can see the time selector and then they don't have to like repeat that now they also have you know a bit more to explore on their own and so on so on so that's in, in kind of like this time where, where this was being developed, of course, the, let's say those more exciting subjects, the explorations, the more like development. Uh, we've been uh, deploying CDP back then. We've been building the uh, data warehouse pipeline uh, on top of that. So those are like the, the ones that kind of get you excited because they those elevate the full organization to another level. And in that time, what you have is the, like the energy that you would lose on like creating some uh, overview for somebody somebody's already doing that in the full full like rolled out scope so similar to 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 the what you have of course on a smaller scale but, but now in like the agency world is sometimes hard to do that for all clients at the same pace also at the same level so of course like once we are working on let's do a pipeline for actually a Let's say more complete overview of all data sources for a client. Let's maybe use that as a framework. Because sooner or later we'll have to deploy something similar on on another client, and maybe they're not there yet. So we just like kind of gray out the boxes that are not relevant for them. So it's more like that. But I see that as an as an issue because in all this time, you know, done for let's say answering ad-hocs we kind of lose the impact that we could get from exploration for, you know, finding the new nugget or of where to go. That's that's, a, you know, new you kind of like a uh, direction that somebody should take. So of course, it's sometimes hard and it's hard to balance out. But I think like when it's planned correctly, when it has like a program with maybe an outcome for uh, the organization or for some stakeholders that will get something and they will just not bother you anymore. Maybe that's like a good way to to start and look into that. I mean, uh, I come
4: like last three years. I worked in data science democratization, right? And that was a big value proposition of my former employer to actually say, well, we have a platform that you know analysts can all of a sudden do data science. And now I think when I look at it now, and this this whole like environment that we're in around AI, there's on the one hand side like I think there are more and more companies where data scientists actually start contributing to the bottom or top line. So all of a sudden, like the, the risk in compliance will come looking coming after those data scientists. On the other hand side, AI actors come. Nobody knows how it's looked like, but if it looks like like it looks right now is there's no model in production anymore without going through a full-blown like compliance documentation, why, what, where, and these type of things. And then comes the question, and I have no answer to that, is how, how will that look like with those scattered little data scientists, data science, democratization, citizen data scientists, these type of things? I think for me, probably where I would start off looking at it right now, I would probably look at it at, at when going in production, when you start using it, that you that come in and you just need to run through given tests. You need to just provide documentation. Mm-hmm and that's also the point where you can say hey all of you you can do whatever you like kind of but before you use it you need to go through a certain process which can be sometimes more heavy sometimes less heavy to get this model approved and then you can bring in this data scientist at that point to actually double check right and there are probably some corporates where you typically check a bit more and other people you trust more that they know what they're doing but I think that will be coming one way or another, either from regulation from, from the EU or basically from chief compliance officers saying, no, no, right, we just, there's 20 million is just hanging on that one model. We just, you probably go through a whole process to get that approved. Um, yeah, very curious how that ends up. I actually, I have a question for you, Steena. So, so where did
1: that question come from, basically? did uh-huh. Have you had an experience where people used data incorrectly or did an analysis or derived something that was, not correct, so to say.
2: Not in my current position, but I would say in, in previous jobs, it was often that wrong conclusions was drawn by by newcomers, right? So new data scientists, new analysts joining the team, starting off on something and then doing something and you have to tell them when they're done, they come in and say, look, I did this. Isn't it pretty? You have to tell you, you them. Don't, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Misunderstood the data, you're you you're using it wrong. Yeah. Um so I, I do think that it's uh it's um it's
4: a common issue. Yes, exactly, exactly. I think in my experience, yes, I think specifically when it comes down to prediction explanation and insights, you need to be very careful about things like correlation, about things like all of there are so many things where it can go wrong, where you use the wrong metrics, you interpret it wrong. Um even even as a real data scientist, I think it can be quite a challenge unless you have a lot of guardrails in place and these type of things. So, um, yeah, I'd be pretty careful.
3: But still from the, let's say, the basement perspective, right? So this is where people are working with the numbers. But what about the people who see the numbers and then take decisions? Because I could see something like we had a huge discrepancy between three systems where there was revenue data. And this is the one that you actually should take care of the most. And there were, I mean, of course, they weren't so big that, you know, that you mistrust one. But then some people are creating a business case looking at one, some are creating a business case looking at two, and some are creating a business case looking at three. Then all, all those have different assumptions. The data is different, not because it's wrong, but because it's filtered differently, mm-hmm. comes from, you know, like it's calculated at the end, the result is different. So you need to know all those. So you don't, don't just open one dashboard, and say, you know, how much did we make in the last few years? This much? <laughs> awesome. So, you know, we're going to make a business case that triples that within the next whatever, seven years. Right. And then you don't take a lot into account. And then you meet reality. So let's say your business case went through the first round down. Now the finance is looking at that and try to compare it with what they know. They say, mm, where did you get those numbers from? Like, how, how did you come up to, to those results? And then it kind of like slows the whole process because even though maybe the what was the point of the business case was right, it's not going to happen now because you need to recalculate and now go back to your executives and say, mm, we may be overpromised. Yes, we've been all done there right <laughs> <now>. <laughs>
0: Okay, so we'll come to you next, check, And you'd like to discuss how data on its own is just noise and only gets the actual value when put into action. And when that action can be monetized Do you want to start off with some of your own experiences?
3: Yeah. So it's more like, and this is how how you said, like, we want just more data. Every organization will say, like, how much can we track? How much can we store? How much can we blend together? How much can we stitch? But then when it comes to the actual usage, it's maybe, I don't know, you guys, correct me if I'm way off, but I would say anywhere from one to 10% tops for most organizations. So it's just that we are storing, we are, you know, paying Amazon, Azure, Google Cloud, whoever, tons of money to store it, um, but then like when it comes to the actual usage, that then takes a, like monetary effect on the organizations. Those are limited in comparison to how much could there be potentially. So this is like you know my 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 starting point, and the. Cases where it went bad is, of course, where instead of thinking how to use what we have today, how to build use cases, how to build uh, new functionalities with what we have, people tend to say, let's get more. Let's just like, let's not use, let's get more because we need it. And then you find yourself in a situation where, and this is like my my experience from, from before, we had one CRM for actual people, and this is like where you have most of their customer data. But another system that doesn't really sync with that, that is for handling their commercial history. So what product they bought for how long, how much money they spent, and so on. So then if you want to get a CDP that will, of every uh, CDP salesperson will say, yeah, we have a native connected to both. It's, you know, point and click tomorrow, we have some results. And no, because then you have to have another process that will sync those two systems and then make compatible with CDP. So there's a lot of work to make it to make it usable, but somebody didn't think before how to already start to use what they have. They just said, let's get another one, let's get another one, let's get another one. And then that goes, and you know, then they get a guy like me or like yourselves, like make some value out of that, and then you say, Yeah. It, That's what I want to do, but it will take time. It will take effort. It will take, uh, you know, other steps that you just don't think that they exist. So it's more like, you know, like going in this way. And then what I want to hear from you guys is maybe like your experiences with how it went right or wrong, like, you know, in in your current or previous cases.
0: What about you?
4: Uh, Are you asking about the more technical bits or are you asking a more about the... um, business side of things.
3: Whatever you Uh, You know, like technical is always interesting, but I think like for, for, for me and I think also for the audience, the business is more. Yeah, we're talking about business, right? It's Not about the technical side. I
4: think, um, for, for me, right? I mean, it sounds very simple, but it's business case first. I, I, you know, I fight comments like this with fire when they talk off, but we first need the data before we can do data science. And that's rubbish, right? You just, you just want to do data science and then fail fast but then you know which data works and which data you're missing and which data you'd be cleaning and across my career I think I've you know seen so many data lake data data foundation whatever you call it initiative fail um, they start building the next data lake before the other one just really comes into production and these type of things so rather than just digging you know you know, digging out the ocean, I forgot what that saying was exactly, but. Um, right. Boil the ocean. Boil the ocean, right. Just be very quick. And you, you want to know what your gold nuggets are before you just go into the earth and just, just dig everything um, across um, all the ocean. That, that didn't yeah. work. But that's saying. Anyway, so I think that that's really the thing. Um, you want to know what are your most important columns, what are your most important tables, what are the data that you can trust. That that is one bit, and then the other thing I think it comes down back to champions. So I think um, drive user adoption from the front. So you say align with business. Don't think about right your model. We, we tend to be in those trenches. We're data scientists, and we don't look left and right because we actually want to do data science. It's fun, but you much more need to think about the value stream. Right, there's data on the one side, the big mountains um, on the other side. You have like um, the customers and you're basically the journey that goes along from deep IT all the way to business. Right. I think um, there's um, Michael Klingwall who made like this fantastic fantasy picture, the realm of data science, where you had like, you know, the, the mountains of data, and then you had the swamp, the, the trackless swamp of data analytics. And then you have the chasm of misunderstanding that leads to the customer coast. Um, I think, um, <laughs> please, please Google that. It, it's fantastic. I used it actually in a lot of some some presentations with some customers, which are um, fantasy um, liking. Um, anyway, so that would be then the other thing. Stephen?
2: Yeah. Um... It's, it's a really hard question, actually. <laughs> but uh, I think it's true that most data scientists just go, I want more data, I want more data. Uh, in my team, we have we ha- actually have a quite good balance between uh, data scientists and data engineers. And the data engineers are really focused on having like really nice, clean data and, and making sure that the data sources that we have are, are good, and not so much focused on the amount of data, and that actually helped balance things out in the team. Um, and I think um, I think that actually helps, like specific in my team. Um, besides that, it, it is a good thing this to think about quality versus quantity, right? So you cannot just throw in more data, throw in more features into a model, <laughs> and then get like the amazing result of out on the other, out by the side. Um, yeah.
1: Let me see if I can attack it from a different angle. But I think what what you're what you're talking about is is data collection, right? So, can we collect more data? Can we bring more data into our databases, data lakes? Um, I think what what you're addressing is also how do we activate that data? So, really, the data activation part. And I think speaking with the organization, oftentimes you hear, okay, if we need more data, otherwise we cannot do our use cases. We actually had a survey, I think, a couple years back, where we asked uh, actually marketing and communications. Uh, departments and we asked them uh, in three dimensions technology data and ways of working we asked them what what is currently hindering you in terms of uh, executing your use cases and majority of them answered it's technology so we don't have the right tooling we can't really execute the use cases due to the lack of tooling what came second was data we don't have enough data about the customers we don't understand the customers enough to actually activate the use cases and then the last one was actually ways of working and i think we talk about activation of data a lot. Oftentimes it's governance. In a big organization like Danske Bank, it's usually governance ways of working. How do you put the teams together? How do you ensure that the value chain actually enables that data to be activated rather than just collecting more data, adding more tools to the tool stack, and then, uh, yeah, yeah just making
3: me, a huge mess. <laughs> that's what I've also seen. Like It's always easy to get a tool, but it's super hard to set a team around that tool. Yeah. So it's like what's often maybe omitted when people are making like the whole strategy, how to get there is, yeah, we're going to get this tool for activation. We have a nice case. We have, you know, awesome data. Let's let's check all, all those boxes and now how to set a team that will actually use it for something, right? That will use the tool properly, that will use the tool that actually is effective in a way that now answers all those questions that were started at the very beginning. So I think this is more so like the the part that and I agree here 100%. The part that sometimes is the hardest to implement.
0: Anything else you wanted to touch on with that topic?
3: Mm, no, not really. I think like we covered it from from all angles, and I'm I'm, I'm super happy. We'll, I'm here surrounded with data scientists because I'm not <laughs> from that field. Which then like you know like all those things that you say is something that I ha- still have to convey uh, to the business stakeholders one way or another, one way or another. And it's one thing, of course, to get to to see that. I'm not wrong, but it's also like it, it's going to happen. No matter who you're going to talk to, it's going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So finally, we'll come to you, Wolf. And you've asked, how do you build your AIDS pipeline? And um, there's a couple of areas here that you want to touch on. So do you want to go ahead?
4: Yeah, I, I think one of the questions, I think I think it's probably almost a follow-up question to you, Witek, is um, if, you, if you look at the value stream from data to business, I think one of the things where stuff fails is, business is not excited. I think I talked about the champion earlier. It's like, so how do you excite business, right? How, how, how do you convince them to spend time
3: with you? That's, so- a, that's a good, that's a good question. <laughs> it's like, of course, everybody and today and, you know, people read blogs, people listen to podcasts, they need data, they need AI, they need uh, data lakes and all those fat, like CDPs. Everybody needs a abbreviation to some yeah. down the line, right? So, how to excite them is, I think, for from in like many cases that it actually worked. Show them what does it mean for your work, what does it mean for the products or for the processes that you're responsible for, and how is that gonna elevate the organization or the the functionality of the systems we have to the next level. And this is, of course, you need to win a champion, as you as you are highlighting here, uh, because you need to have somebody who. Who then is able to talk to somebody who doesn't know what you're saying, but what they want is the result, and they need somebody who will translate tech to business, even in more business terms than, than we can imagine, right? So, so, so that's there. Uh, but another thing is also the outcome. So, trying to focus on that and trying to put that almost like you know, like a carrot on a the stick. There is this carrot, and to in order to get there, we have to build those pipelines you Mr CFO whoever don't need to know what those are but we have guy, good guys on them you know that's okay. all we need to know
0: well, answers, what you think? yeah
3: I, I think on that
1: topic I think what's important and I I don't I wouldn't say that we've succeeded yet uh, in my team but um the whole evangelizing data science in the organization is is really important so really getting out there trying to explain what can data science do for you um to help solve your problems um we were lucky that before Christmas, uh, chat GBT was a hot topic. <laughs> I recently started a, uh, a squad in my in my team uh, focusing on conversational AI, so uh, that was quite easy to start evangelizing that mm-hmm. whole journey because uh, people were talking about it all over the place. And I think we need to do the same for other topics within data science and, and the use of data. Um, I think, yeah, getting out there, evangelizing, trying to explain, as you say, in, in simple business terms, what does this mean? What impact can it drive?
2: You know what, we... I think you're absolutely right about that, uh, Asmus. Since I joined WSA, I have been drinking coffee with so many people. <laughs> <laughs> making, uh, making my team more visible and telling people we can do this and this and this. Um, Ideally, you could also put your data scientists to do this. On the other hand, you want them to work on data science, right? Uh, so I think uh, I have a benefit there that I actually have a background in uh, in data science and data engineering. I know what we can do, and uh, that helps a lot. Was there another?
4: Question? Yeah, I, I, I think the other question which I came across quite quite often is: there's a long game, there's a short game. So you can just grab the next Excel table you find and just build data science models and just create value very quickly. And everybody's like, wow. But then you tend to forget the long game, which is like building data lakes and getting access to data lakes and building data pipelines and building like, you know, whatever IT infrastructure. And I see, I I, I find a defined balance. There are those people who just go for the low hanging fruits and just focus on them and then burn at some point because they haven't, thought about the long game and didn't do the hard stuff. That the other people who are saying, oh, we just we need data first and we first build data lakes and then they don't create any value for three years and the data scientist gets bored and then everybody quits. Kind of right. I mean these are the two extremes. I'm not saying everybody is there. So the question is like how how do you find the balance? So how do you go between saying, right, we need to prove value now and we just take what we have versus right, we just also need to have people that learn spark or you know build a proper click you know goes through this horrible process of cleaning the data that nobody wants to do in these stuff thanks had
2: seen yeah um I think I think it's a balance right so you need to know what you will do if whatever you're building is a success So as long as you have that plan I think it's a good idea to just do, like minimal viable products, proof of concept, whatever you call them. So start in small, but have the long scope. If this is a success, what are we going to do then? And not start a lot of small proof of concepts. So don't start one and then start the next one and then start the next but one, but actually act upon the single one that you start with. And then go a little bit up in scale and then you can always take the next one, see if it makes sense to, to go even bigger.
1: I think it's also a matter of having sort of a roadmap and a strategy, a longer vision of what you want to do with, for instance, data science, then you also need to consider, are you are you staffed properly for that vision? So do you have the right people? Um, we realized yeah, a year or two back that we had a lot of brilliant data scientists, but were they actually doing data science? No, they were building MLOps flows, they were doing data engineering, and we slowly started, as we had some natural attrition in the team, we started populating the team with new capabilities, new new profiles who could actually support that journey. I think that's also an important thing in actually, yeah, going to that next level. What we've been struggling a lot with is to explain the value of having, for instance, an MLOps engineer in my team. What value does an MLOps engineer bring to the team? Because it's not very visible. It's not something you see on a daily basis, but it's basically the person in the engine room that makes everything happen, right? Um, So I think that's where we're struggling the most at the moment, at least.
3: But coming back to the original question, and I like that we mentioned here uh, vision because there has to be some vision. So we cannot just do data endeavors just to do them. and you know, because like why? So there has to be some vision. There has to be like where do we want to go? What do we want to unlock in the organization on our in our maturity, in our new services, in our uh, ways we are work like working with our customers, that we don't have yet that will add some value to them but also add some value to us but and on that journey there are those low-hanging fruits and it's obviously a kind of like balance of both that has to happen because for some stakeholders they will only care if you very quickly can provide some answers can give some yeah. results can unlock some new functions because they need that for their own games right yeah. around the ar- around any organization so from like big big or small organizations, it will always be a similar setup. So there has to be some vision. And I often use this like data maturity model that kind of like grows with like more functions, more like, you know, more things you can do with data, the more mature you are. And I tend to kind of blur it with like, where are you today? Just to put it super low, because then it creates an incentive. We want them to be high. So what what can we do within next, whatever, six months to a year to to move this little dot higher up the food chain because everybody wants to be better. Right. So it's kind of like like this. And then uh, trying to see, okay, what's in your setup that can be actually done and what can be done relatively quick that already is better than what you used to do. So this is how I work, how I've always worked and sometimes it's harder, sometimes it's it's easier. But now coming back to the the things that were the champion will thank you for that. And if you have a champion on the other end who understands the vision, or maybe who has their own vision, it's then easier to drive every other step of the process down that like down the road of that vision because they they own it right they own it and you are providing them and helping them with the elements they can do themselves. So that is maybe also sometimes needed that that's not always there. And I don't know if like that's us, we just need to maybe work around that a bit more to have those champions to try to, you know, have more coffee around the house. Coffee machines are
4: great places.
1: But I think speaking on the topic of vision, I think if you, for instance, draw a sort of an end state of what you would like the organization or the setup to look like, Mm -hmm. then being able to deliver on use cases along the way and show the value of of your deliveries along the way. That really gives you the license to operate as well, because if you just hide yourself in the basement for five years and come up and say, "Yeah, here's, here's here. the rocket ship, yeah, uh, no, let's no, go Let's go to the moon. That, hey, that doesn't work, yeah.
3: right? People need that and people also use now to kind of like unlock achievements from, yeah. from gaming. We all know that yeah. you do something, you're going to unlock an achievement, and you know that you've made some progress. This is also like that translates to like this gamification element translates to every business because you need to you've done something right. This mission is over now on to the next one, which was locked because you didn't have capabilities to to play it right to to play the game. So it's, it's <laughs> kind of like that, right?
4: Uh, that was a really good way for that. Well, that's how you got your MLOPS person. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I beat the final boss in Super Mario. Yeah.
3: <laughs> But you need that feature to beat the super button, yeah. right? So when you when you translate that, that you need to activate the budget for that to the CFO. They also yeah, let's yeah. do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to touch on there?
4: No, I think I mean like that. There's there's
3: much more, but I think that are the two main questions. Over this, I suppose, yeah? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Anybody else have any other questions or final thoughts before we head off?
3: So, like, what's the next big thing? Because now we are in the chat GPT that kind of opened the Pandora box and you guys are data scientists, so just out of curiosity, what's the next big thing? Ooh. What's going to be, like, you know, the new, new, new headline? <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> if you can say, see, like, <laughs> maybe
4: you <Yeah>. can't. <laughs> Think, yeah, I, I think the first, first thing, as I said, is, is just the boring stuff is regulation, right? I think this whole AI act stuff is all around the, the evil overlord, AI overlords, of coming us to get us all. So I think the next thing we're all going to struggle with is just dealing with a lot of make, make your DPO the best friend. That will be my, my recommendation from when I see what's coming. Um, other than that, right, we're just at the start of like, um, right, we, we had now... First we had image analysis and then we had text analysis coming out with Bert and, and 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 ResNet and all of those neural networks and now all of a sudden we have the same thing on the generative bit um, probably voice video will be the next obvious one but that's already underway as well right we're just missing this one big right chat no no video GPT whatever it's called then that just brings it out to the public
1: I think on our roadmap we have the the voice to text type of thing already on the roadmap I don't know if we're going to get there this year but maybe in the in the coming years and then actually when we talk about banking at some point we might have synthetic advisors that are actually going to handle your cases so so actually have like a
3: invest here like you know like, uh, like a pop-in thing <laughs> I mean, yeah but but even even uh yeah,
1: you probably seen the the videos where people's Faces are put on on, on different uh, characters. Uh, I think that that could be the the that, next thing. Uh, that
4: that that's already coming. Like yeah. I mean, they have it like I saw startups now. So it S- Synthesia. And yeah, everything. Synthesia, exactly. And I saw. I mean, they're still very boring. I was surprised how how, how monotonous or obvious yeah. it is that it's just a computer speaking. But the entire tutorials were basically they wrote the text and then there is a voice underneath it. But guess in half a year year once a bit further then that's all just perfectly and interactive and you don't need to pre-train it anymore you don't need a computer to you know let that create for like an, an overnight or so it's just there
2: <laughs> i have no idea to say, uh, but i am really really um looking forward to see how much of the coding part that my pupil is currently doing the chat GPT will be able to do going forward. Um, so that is uh, the thing that I actually think is most exciting about that right
4: now. What what I find interesting is like everybody's thinking about like JetGPT is like the singularity. But like, as I said, looking at what happened over the past years with first Dalika, I mean, like, First Resnet coming and everybody was only the data scientists well, This is great. And then Bird was coming and we were like, wow, wow, this is so good. Like language is understood now. And then Dali came. And we were like, Oh, that's pretty good. And now ChatGPT comes. But there was a whole whole relation, you know coming around. And then also in terms of chat GPT and coding, right? I mean, I haven't been coding for so long. I've been Googling Stack Exchange. That's <laughs> just Stack Exchange or Stack Overflow on steroids, basically. I don't need to copy and paste the question out anymore and adapt it to my needs It's just chat GPT, right? Take, yeah. I know you have read the entirety of Stack Overflow, so just tell me what's in <laughs> <laughs> exactly. but, but I think that what people are starting to realize with
1: chat GPT yeah. is that we're going to more, more or less coexist with AI going forward. I think that's that's probably a bit of a change in the in discussion yes. mm-hmm. um, that that AI that's is not no, no longer, longer going to be a. Sorry,
0: sorry. It's no longer taking over the world then. It might. <laughs> yeah.
1: When you get Neuralink uh, by uh, our friend Elon, and then we uh, <laughs> we're stuck
4: <laughs> in the matrix. No, I think yeah, you're right, right? I think it's just also the mindset, like yeah. as he's saying. I think that was a real singularity, as you said, just before Christmas, it came out. And ever since, just selling internally data science is so much easier because everybody, right, has a very concrete. Understanding. very tangible. It's
1: understandable. Yes. You can interact with it. And, and that's, that's one of the things yes. we're trying to introduce in some of our services that rather than just exposing them technically in the background, we actually try to involve the users so they can actually interact with our data science services okay. so they understand what it actually does.
0: Okay, great. I think we'll have to leave it there. We could do a whole other podcast (laughs) about chat and so on. Um, But I just want to take the opportunity to thank you all, Rasmus, Dina, Wolf, and Wojciech for providing some great insights into our topic. Hopefully everyone can take something away from our discussion today, including the listeners. So thank you all for listening. And if you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I hope you've enjoyed listening. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. See you next time.